I'm Rob Hopkins, and this is Imagination Taking Power, a podcast where I share with you conversations, insights, and aha moments on my journey towards writing a book about imagination, which is now finished and coming out on the 17th of October. One of the finest books I've read recently was Eager, The Surprising Secret Life of Beavers and Why They Matter by Ben Goldfarb. Ben is an American environmental journalist who has taken a great interest in this remarkable creature and its ability to, as he put it when we spoke, help tackle many of our ecological problems if we just get out of the way and let the rodent do the work. I was fascinated to hear his thoughts as to how living in a world full of beavers might impact the human imagination and how living in a world without them impoverishes it. I started by asking him if he might sum up the narrative of the book for anyone who hasn't yet had the pleasure of reading it. You know, we have this this animal, the beaver, uh, that that was historically uh, ubiquitous, incredibly abundant across uh, North America and and Europe, and uh, was just profoundly responsible for shaping our landscapes. Of course, beavers build dams, they create these ponds and wetlands, um, and you know, they, and those ponds and wetlands would have historically made our, our landscapes just extraordinarily green and uh, and lush and uh, and full of full of biodiversity um and when we killed hundreds of millions of beavers in in both north america and europe we destroyed our our landscapes in ways that we're just now recognizing you know all of those those beaver dams broken those ponds and wetlands drained uh and this you know this beautiful lush garden that beavers had created uh essentially turned to desert in 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 many places and we're just now starting to recognize how dramatic a, a shift that was from this beaver dominated landscape to a kind of a, a beaver absent landscape um so what eager's about really is a, is about the ways in which Bringing these animals back, as as uh, you know, as, as has been done in many places, as and is is still an ongoing process in other places like the UK. Um, you know, it's about how bringing these animals back can help us address all kinds of ecological problems. Uh, you know, of course, in the American West where I live, uh, drought is a huge issue. You know, our landscape is getting hotter and drier as the climate changes, and beavers, it turns out, you know, create thousands of little reservoirs uh, that help us keep water on the landscape. You know, in, in the UK, where flooding is a big issue, beavers slow down those those big surges of rainfall and, and basically mitigate flooding. You know, they, they create these fantastic pockets of, of life for fish and amphibians and waterfowl and songbirds and bats. Uh, you know, they're, re- they're really these incredible keystone species and, and ecosystem engineers. And uh, the book is basically about how, by, by bringing these animals back, um, we can create a, you know, a, 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 a landscape that's both new and old, you know, new to us, but, uh, but really quite timeless because beavers, of course, have been modif- modifying our landscapes for millions of years. So how do we get back to that point, um, where, where beavers were this dominant landscape scale influence? That's the, that's kind of the big question at the heart of the book, I think. How did you develop this interest? What sparked this? this curiosity about beavers what's your journey into this subject yeah that's a that's a good that's a good question you know i mean i think i think that i you know certainly i'd always liked beavers you know i i i'm fortunate to be from the u.s a country that that has you know many millions of beavers unlike the uk uh and you know I, i grew up you know, hiking and fishing and camping. Uh, so I was certainly around beavers and, and always had kind of a, a, a baseline appreciation for, for what they do and, and how cool they are. Um, but I didn't recognize them as these kind of landscape scale forces of 
change and transformation until uh, I guess 2014. I think I was I was um, I was you know a working journalist uh, living in Seattle looking for things to write about and basically stumbled on this advertisement for a, a Beaver conference and or a Beaver workshop uh, and you know had no idea what happened at a Beaver workshop but just knew that I had to be part of it and um, and went to this thing and I, I met this guy. Uh, named named Kent Woodruff, who's a, a beaver biologist um, in kind of central Washington State, uh, and you know I think I mean, I mean Kent to me is a you know a great testament to the power of imagination because he I mean he really has that he had this he had the vision uh, in some ways of what a, a fully beavered landscape could look like and and function like and and he was the you know and he was the one who he that vision at this workshop and, and he was the one who got my own imagination uh, really fired up about how about about how wonderful these animals are and how important they are uh, to, to, to healing landscapes in the American West so it was really yeah it was really this guy Kent who, who just got me very excited about about beavers not only as you know cool fun adorable rodents but as as you know as our continent's most important historical architects. How do you see the link between the human imagination and the diversity of the natural world? So I, I, Rene Dubot, the microbiologist, used to say, if we lived on the moon, our imagination would be as barren as the moon. So when we lose beavers from the world around us, what do we lose? And how does that sort of contracting of diversity impact our imagination, do you think? Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a, a really wonderful question. You know, I think I think we just, you know, t I mean, to to me, reading. So a lot of what I did in the book was I, I read old trappers and explorers' accounts of what North America looked like before we trapped out hundreds of millions of beavers. You know, and and they describe this landscape that's just mind-blowingly wet and and complex and green and 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 lush um you know in places that today uh, are you know are, are corn or soy monocultures essentially you know there's i mean there are explorers accounts of crossing the state of indiana and not finding a dry place to camp for a hundred miles because beavers had so thoroughly impounded the impounded water all over all over the midwest and today you know that's i mean that's you know that same area is, is you know strip malls and and cornfields essentially uh so when we when we lose beavers you know i think i think we we lose the uh, we lose the ability to imagine um you know what a what a, a natural diverse complex biodiversity filled landscape looks like you know i think that we We've, it's, it's kind of like the classic shifting baseline syndrome issue where, you know, you, because, because the land is, is degraded when you inherit it, uh, you can't remember what it once looked like and you accept your own diminished present, uh, as, as natural and, and normal. And I think that's what's happened to us. You know, we've, we've forgotten what a, a healthy stream is meant to look like. Uh, and, you know, reintroducing beavers is, is a form of, sparking our own imaginations, you know, catalyzing our, our awareness of, of what a, you know, a, a historic ecosystem would have functioned like uh, in North America, you know, 10,000 years ago. And and do you think that the, in the same way that it could be argued that, that our declining imagination led to the eradication of the beaver? Was there a, a sort of a, within within our culture at that time, was there a sort of a narrowing, 
I don't know, maybe that's slightly kind of tenuous. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, I think that, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I, I mean, I think that certainly our, our, you know, our lack of imagination is hindering us today from, from bringing these animals back uh, in a, in a big, in a big way. And, you know, I mean, and to me that, again, that's, that's because we've, you know, we've, we've inherited these very, these very clean, linear, uh, sort of dry landscapes in which water is, you know, is, is sort of channelized and constrained within its banks. Right. Um, and we're, we're incapable of imagining a landscape where beavers push that water onto the floodplains and fell trees everywhere and basically turn the, you know, the, the well-kempt orderly countryside, uh, into this, um, you know, this, this sprawling complex of, of chaotic wetlands. Um, you know, we just we just can't conceive of the landscape looking that way. Um, so we we in many quarters resist the reintroduction of this animal um, that would create these landscapes that that we find, um, you know, to our flawed human eyes, uh, you know, abnormal or, or or unhealthy. So I think that I think that today our, our inability to imagine historic landscapes is is certainly hampering the, the return of beavers. That makes sense. You know, over the last hundred and probably further back, you know, beavers always are characters in stories. And we told all kinds of stories about beavers and indigenous people told stories about beavers and we have beavers. And I'm something I, I had a, a thought that I couldn't then find it again of some reading something I read where you were talking about how uh, how C.S. Lewis wrote about beavers and how that some sort of a. Uh, that that was quite harmful culturally, or I can't remember. Is that right? Did you have you written about C.S. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that, so right. So basically, so in in Narnia, Mister and Mrs. Beaver, um, who are you know these very kindly, loving characters, uh, they're wonderful in most respects, but they but they eat fish in Narnia, which is you know which is biologically inaccurate, right? Beavers are totally herbivorous. Um, but because, you know, I, I think I think that was probably a mistake made by Lewis because nobody had seen a beaver in Britain for, you know, 300 years or, or whatever at the time that he was writing. Uh, so nobody knew anything about them. Um, so, so you know, this, this notion that beavers were, you know, were pescatarians, I think, got, got enshrined in culture. Um, and actually, when when the, when the thought of, of you know, when, when, when beer reintroduction was first proposed in the UK, it was angling groups uh, who were primarily opposed to, to the return of beavers because they they believed uh, I think partly misled by Lewis that the beavers were going to eat were going to eat all the fish um, so that was yeah an interesting example of the ways in which you know in which right this funny little biological inaccuracy you know becomes this this cultural meme that that basically inhibits uh, you know, wildlife, proper wildlife policy. It was funny was that, so I gave a talk at the, at the Hay Festival when I was, when I was there a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I had the, the, the temerity to, to mention the whole C.S. Lewis thing. And, um, and I guess a reporter from the, the Daily Mail was, was there. And then the next day there was this, you know, this big, there was like this tabloid headline, right? Like, you know, American environmentalists, you know, drags beloved British children's author over the, over the coals or whatever, whatever the heck it was. Um, so, yeah. but you know, then we saw, we, then we saw the books, uh, the book sales, you know, spiked after that. So any publicity is good publicity, I guess. Well, and being, being slagged off by the Daily Mail is definitely a badge of honor for anybody. In- That's right. <laughs> you know, you've made it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was fascinated by the, by the, um, 
by the extent to which uh, you know Beaver runs through our culture and our myths and our stories. I wondered as the case for rewilding grows. I'm just reading yeah. Isabella Tree's extraordinary wilding. Here, here it is on my on my desk here. Ah, very good, isn't it? Just awesome. I'm about halfway through and I'm just loving it. But as as that and and there was George Monbiot's book Feral and this whole movement about around re, rewilding. So through that and through the work that you're doing, are we seeing, do you think, the beaver emerging as a as a cornerstone for a new story of the future, do you think? Yeah, I, I think I think ab- absolutely. I mean, I, you know, when I was when I was in the UK, um, you know, earlier earlier this month, I mean, I was I was astounded by how rapidly beavers have become central to to rewilding uh you know when i think i think what i so when i when i reported the chapter about uk reintroduction i guess that was, was that 2016 2017 um yeah 2017 i mean even even just two years ago uh it, when i was there it felt like beaver reintroduction was was sort of like part of the the lunatic fringe of the the environmental movement there, you know, and and two years later, uh, it's it's remarkably mainstream. Pardon, pardon the pardon the pun, um, and um, it's just it's just it's just remarkable. To, I mean, how many environmental groups and how many rewilding organizations and how many you know um, you know it's like TV presenters and and, uh, and journalists are are talking about it now, you know. And I think the reason for that is. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, here's this animal that is capable of supporting all kinds of other life, right? I mean, if, you know, if, if the, if the goal is to, is, if the goal is to rewild the landscape, to bring back all of these creatures that have been lost or that we're at risk of losing, then it makes perfect sense that you would start with the animal that can support all of the other creatures, right? I mean, you know, when beavers were, were, um, so there's, you know, there's, there's this, this famous beaver, this beaver trial, the Devon Beaver Project. Um, you know, you've probably, you've probably been there. I guess you could, you live near, you live nearby. Um, you know, that, I mean, when, when they, when they returned beavers there, um, you know, the, 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 the number of clumps of, of frog spawn, of frog eggs increased more than 50 fold. You know, there were all of these species of bass that they hadn't seen there that, that showed up to eat, uh, the aquatic insects, you know, like the, the water beetle diversity, um, increased dr- dramatically. You know, I mean, it was just this amazing testament to the power of just two, I mean, and that was just two beavers at that site, um, you know, created this, this haven for all kinds of other, other life. So again, if the, you know, if you're, if you're trying to bring back biodiversity to the, you know, to the British Isles, uh, it makes perfect sense that you would start with the creature that that supports biodiversity, you know. And then I think what's what's kind of cool is that, I mean, to me, beavers, and I think I mentioned this in the book, that beavers are, I think, a, a good gateway drug into into other reintroductions, right? I mean, it's, you know, they're they're the first extinct mammal um, to be re, to be reintroduced to Britain, and, and you know, and they are for all of the wonderful things they do, they are kind of a headache, right? They, you know, they cut down trees and they flood people's fields and they, you know, undermine flood defenses and so on. So it takes, you know, it takes some doing um, to, to live with them. And I, I think that in some ways, you know, the, 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 the policies and the, the, you know, the, the stakeholder engagement um, and the, you know, the approach to reintroduction, I think that, I think that beaver reintroduction is, is potentially going to inform the reintroduction of other creatures like, you know, like lynx uh, and, you know, someday maybe wolves in the Scottish Highlands. Uh, you know, it's like if you can, if you can learn to live with one kind of 
meddlesome animal that you're returning. You know, maybe that same framework can be applied to other meddlesome animals. Uh, so I like the idea of, of beaver as, you know, as sort of this rewilding trial in some ways that, that could help guide future species reintroductions. There seems to be so much grim news and, and forecast in terms of climate change. It just sort of seems to get worse every day. And one of the things that I thought was most fascinating in Isabella's book and that I kind of got a taste of in yours was that the thing of uh, how within a really short period of time, like three years into her rewilding, she was starting to see these populations bouncing back and these birds just turning up that nobody had seen there for 200 years. And and that you, the, the, one of the things that I really got from it was that, yes, you know, we are forcing the natural world sort of into a corner but actually when you take the when you take that pressure off it it comes back really it bounces really rapidly and for me that's one of the things that i kind of hold on to as a as a hopeful thing in terms of climate change and actually if there was a concerted push around rewilding and reintroduction and uh and so on that, that actually things could things could move very quickly and and the stuff that you read about how you know how soils are able to lock up carbon and those systems lock up carbon that if we were able to obviously balancing it with 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 food production but that that rewilding has the potential to move really fast it kind of felt like is am, am i just am i am i uh, clutching onto straws or 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 is there something in that do you think no, no, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, you know, I think that, um, you know, I mean, I mean, beavers are, you know, the example I always go to, right? I mean, at, you know, at, 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 in 1900, there were something like a thousand beavers in, in all of, of Europe. Uh, and now there are, I think, one and a half million, right? So, you know, in, in barely more than, a, you know, barely more than a century, um, you know, they, the population increased by, you know, whatever power of 10 that is. Um, so, you know, if you just, if, I think that if you just stay out of the way of a lot of these processes and, and let them happen unhindered, uh, they can they can happen really quickly. You know, and I mean, to me, you know what I think that what what unites my book with with Isabella's is, is really the, the power of animals to transform landscapes. Right. I mean, I think that we you know, I, I think that we tend to view geology as separate from biology, right? Um, that like, you know, that, that the earth itself is sort of like this, um, you know, it's, 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 this, it's this, you know, it, it's too, yeah, it's, it's this thing that exists sort of apart, um, or, or divorced from, you know, the ecosystems that are layered on top of it, uh, in some ways, right? I mean, like, you know, who could imagine, um, that, you know, that animals are capable of, of, you know, affecting something as, as, as vast as, you know, the growth of a mountain range. Um, but, you know, I think that, I mean, the more, the more we understand about the, you know, the sort of like the, the bio geomorphology of, of this planet, you know, the ways in which animals influence the physical landscape, um, you know, the more we understand just how important those connections are. Right? I mean, that's like, and that's what Isabella's book's about, right? It's about, you know, returning, returning grazers to the landscape to, you know, to sort of, um, 
you know, to, to clear the, clear the forests essentially and create this kind of dynamic patchy ecosystem rather than one that's just, you know, a, a, a solid, uh, carpet of trees essentially, you know, I mean, that's, and that's what, that's what beavers do, of course, you know, they, I mean, they fill in, uh, valleys at a, at a, at a, a vast scale. They literally change the, the course of rivers. Um, I just saw this great study about, about salmon where, you know, when salmon go up to spawn, uh, you know, they, they, use their tails to basically dig out these nests where they deposit their eggs, right? And, and historically, you know, the amount of gravel that was, you know, mobilized and flushed downstream by salmon was just like, I mean, I forget the, I forget the numbers, but just mind-blowingly vast, you know, and that salmon were, were literally changing the contours of, you know, of these, these headwater mountainous streams in which they were spawning, you know? So I think that, I think that returning, I think that recognizing how, Animals influence the physical landscape. The animals aren't just there's they're not just these like fun things that we like to that we like to look at through binoculars. They're actually like us, uh, really important agents of of change into the the physical world. I think that's a that's a really important thing that um, that Isabella's book gets at gets at very nicely. And uh, you know I think that those are those are the processes that I'd love to see rapidly restored. Is is that you know a landscape that's that's mediated in some ways. Um, by by you know non-human species. You know, you mentioned about uh, the extraordinary uh, landscapes and the with all the ponds and the water and the 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 the, um, the what they do with trees and all of that. I wonder if, like, for people who haven't seen that, could you describe what that's like if you were to visit a place? where beavers have been for hundreds of years and left undisturbed what is that landscape like to to visit and to walk through and to experience can you give people a picture of that yeah definitely yeah it's 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 funny i was just in just a few weeks ago i went to um to voyagers national park which is in in northern minnesota right in the on the kind of the the u.s canadian border and and that's you know and that's a that's a a place where you know beavers have basically been left undisturbed for for a couple of a couple hundred years and and are you know i mean that's that's probably the closest place you can find certainly in the united states maybe probably maybe in the world um to you know what a landscape would have looked like historically before we destroyed these animals um and there i mean it's just it's just mind blowing, you know. Some of the some of the dams they've built are are hundreds of feet long, um, you know. Just these these massive uh, edifices that just you know that that just go on for, you know, like football fields. Um, you know, I mean, some of them are, are you know are, are ten or twelve feet high. Uh, you can walk over the top of them. They're so deeply embedded in the landscape that that you know that that they've been basically grassed over by vegetation. They've been you know, they've been worked on by so many successive generations of beavers that they've actually become part of the physical world. Uh, you know, and then the, I mean, and then the, the, the ponds and wetlands that they create um, are also just, you know, mind-blowingly uh, vast, you know, just these, 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 I mean, it's just, it's hard to, it's just hard to believe that, you know, that a, a little family of rodents could create this wetland that's, you know, that's, that's, um, you know, a hundred acres uh, and is, as just, 
you know, the, and the amount of, I mean, it's, it's this kind of this full sensory experience, right? Because you're, you, you know, you're smelling the, the decomposition of, of, um, you know, of all the vegetation that's, you know, that's, 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 that's kind of settled out or has been killed by the, the rising water. And you know, but yeah, there's also like the, the, you know, the amazing new growth, um, that's, you know, that's being facilitated by these rising water tables. You know, all of these wetlands were just, I mean, some of them are just like cacophonous with, you know, multiple species of frogs and, and songbirds and waterfowl. Uh, it's, you know, the, I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, they're just, they're just these, these beautiful places, you know, but they don't, I mean, again, they don't really, you know, they don't really match our conception of what the land should look like, right? I mean, one of the things that you all, that you always see around beaver ponds is lots of, lots of dead and downed trees, right? Um, I mean, trees that the beavers have cut down themselves or trees that have been killed by, you know, by the rising water tables, uh, as the land turns boggier and boggier, you know, and we, I think that we have this, this very, um, adverse relationship with, with, tree death in some ways, right? We see, you know, a dead tree as, as kind of a sign of, of forest, uh, disease or, or lack of health. Um, but, you know, those, those dead trees are, are unbelievably important for, for all kinds of life. You know, they're great perches, uh, for, you know, for, for, Raptors, you know, for, I mean, we get bald eagles and, you know, you always see bald eagles perched uh, on, in, on dead trees in, in beaver, beaver ponds. Um, you know, they're, they're great habitat, you know, like those, the, the tree cavities are great habitat for, you know, for, for woodpeckers and, and uh, all kinds of waterfowl. Um, you know, so those, those dead trees, I mean, again, that's, I think that's a, another case of, of our lack of imagination in some ways. You know, we, we see those dead trees and assume that they're, unnatural in a way and that, and that beavers have killed have killed the forest what a, what a disaster um but in fact you know those those trees turn out to be vital again and, and uh, you know we just we have to sort of re, re reconfigure our brains in some ways or rehardwire ourselves um to to conceive of, of dead trees as as uh crucial landscape features rather than you know, than, than signs of sickness what what impact have you have you seen the book have? I mean, like you, you presumably you wrote it with the, the the motivation that you wanted this to lead to a kind of a, a collective reappraisal of the of the beaver. Have have you seen has it had impacts that you didn't anticipate when you when you wrote it? Yeah, I, you know, I think that I mean, uh, yeah, I think so. First, I've I've been I've been really um, I've been so thrilled by the by the impacts that it, that it's had you know i think that one of the you know maybe you experience this as a, as a as a writer as well you know one of the one of the kind of the frustrating things uh sometimes um is you know you never know what you know who who reads your work and and how it how it changes the world and and um you know oftentimes as a you know as a as a, as a magazine journalist you know you feel like you you're, you know, you spend weeks working on an article and then you put it out there and it's like, it's like adding your little snowflake to this, this blizzard of content that's appearing all the time. And it, you know, it, it has its little 12 hours of being tweeted and then it's just subsumed by, you know, the next wave of stuff. Um, so I've, I guess I've, you know, I've, I mean, one of the wonderful things about writing a book, I think, is that it's, it's, it's the antidote to that and that it's this, this physical, tangible artifact, um, that lives on people's shelves. Uh, for years and, and, you know, also carries a certain, um, you know, a certain authoritative weight maybe that an article doesn't, doesn't carry. Um, so anyway, all that's, all of that is, is just preface to say that, you know, it, I, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's been really heartening to, to see who's read it and who's acted upon it, you know, and, and I mean, at one talk I gave, uh, in, 
guess that was in Utah. Um, you know, a, a, a rancher uh, told me later that you know that that um, he he bought the book, he had he had read it, he'd stopped killing the beavers on his property, and then he bought copies for all of his friends, all of his all of his, his ranching neighbors, uh, and and you know implored them to stop killing their their beavers. Um, you know that was that was pretty cool. Um, you know, I've, I've heard about uh, you know transportation departments. Uh, accessing it and and you know using it to guide beaver policy when beavers flood roads and clog up road culverts you know and and uh, and using the book to you know as as motivation to move from a kind of a lethal strategy where we just kill all of those beavers when they cause conflicts to a non-lethal strategy where we're trying to coexist with them um you know i've i've heard from lots of lots of private landowners um basically contacting me and saying hey you know we've got we have beavers near our house uh, you know, the city or the town wants to kill them. We want to save them. How do I, how do I fight that? You know, and, uh, I'm able to provide them resources, um, that have, you know, that have led to the, you know, the, the protection of some of these, some of these beaver colonies. So it's, it's been, uh, yeah, it's just, I've just been, just been, been incredibly pleased by the, by the response and, and by the fact that, you know, this is, the book has, um, you know, like the, it's, writing, writing is such a, a kind of an abstract, lonely intangible pursuit in some ways so it's it's really wonderful to know that that the the book that i created has actually changed again the physical world right that there are there are beaver colonies that are alive today uh doing their thing because of the book and you know and they've created you know who knows how many acres of wetlands so that the you know the, the world looks a little bit different today uh hopefully in better ways uh than it did before before the book existed that's a that's a really um, that's a really a, amazing feeling and, and uh, you know, one that I think, yeah, uh, it's just kind of a, a, a unique experience for me. And there's a question that I've asked everybody that I've interviewed for this book, which was if you had been elected at the last election uh, in America and you had you were President Goldfarb and you had run on a platform of make America imaginative again. So you had felt that there was a uh, the, at the heart of many of the crises was this sort of depletion of the collective imagination, this inability to look positively at the future, this inability to ask what if and to reimagine things. And that as a priority, there was a need to reboost imagination through education and policy and uh, a whole range of different things. And you wanted to rather than talking about focus on innovation like every government always does you wanted to focus on on a national kind of uh imaginative new deal kind of scale of pushing imagination across all sectors what might you do in your first hundred days as president goldfarb yeah that's that's such a that's such an interesting question um and um yeah certainly one i've never been asked before um um, yeah, you know, I think, I mean, I, I mean, it's probably not a very original answer, but, you know, but I, I mean, I, I feel like, um, you know, the, one of the things that most ails our society is, you know, is what, uh, 
Richard Louvre has called nature deficit disorder, right? Just, we just, um, we're just so disconnected from the natural world. We're, we're such an indoor society. Um, you know, we're so, we're so attached to our screens, my, you know, myself included. Uh, you know, I know this is, this is something that, that, you know, that you've, you've written and thought about as well as, you know, just the, just the ways in which, you know, sort of, um, yeah, technology has infiltrated our lives and, and, and prevent, and, you know, in some wonderful ways, but in other ways prevented us from accessing the things that, that, um, that, that really matter, you know, and I think that, I think that a, a big part of the reason that we're incapable of, you know, imagining a new kind of relationship with nature is because we have no relationship with nature, uh, in a, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And, you know, and, and to, I mean, to me, you know, being in, being in a, 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 a beaver pond and wetland complex or an old growth forest, or, you know, a healthy, intact desert ecosystem or, you know, scuba diving on a coral reef. I mean, those are, you know, those are the experiences that, you know, that, that really catalyze imagination insofar as they make you think about, you know, what are what our world once looked like and, you know, and once and, and how it could look like again uh, or how it could, yeah, how it could, you know, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> um, how it could again look. Um, so to me, you know, my, I guess I guess my part of my. Um, imaginative platform as, as President Goldfarb would just, would just be creating some kind of national program or policy, um, that got people, especially children, uh, into the, into the outdoors on a, a, you know, a much, a much more regular basis. And, you know, and obviously there, you know, there are, there are programs, um, like that, but they're, you know, they're kind of chronically underfunded and under, under participated in and, and, um, just not, you know, not, uh, nearly as comprehensive as they could be. So, you know, some kind of, um, yeah, you know, like, like the, I mean, the, the proposal that I've, I've seen it, you know, in a, in a few places is, of course, you know, in the, in, in the 1930s, right, we had the, you know, the civilian conservation corps, right? This, you know, this, this, this new deal program to get out in nature and, you know, and this, and fix trails and, you know, stop soil erosion and plant trees and, you know, do all, do all of this stuff. I mean, I'd love to see, you know, something, something like that again as well, you know, some, some kind of program that, that connected young people, young people with nature and, and, you know, and created a, um, a system in which, you know, in which participating in ecological restoration, um, was, was viewed as a profound form of, of public service, you know, on par with serving in the military. Um, so, yeah, so those are so those are my two prescriptions. There's some you know some kind of some kind of program for getting getting kids outdoors, and then some kind of some kind of program that that essentially creates jobs in the restoration economy. Um, yeah, to help us to help us you know heal this heal this country and and to help us imagine what a what a, a fully restored uh, you know suite of American biodiversity could look like. So that when people say what do you do and you say I I, I uh, create habitats for beavers, they would say thank you for your service. <laughs> yeah right i would love to hear that yeah you know i was actually i was so i don't know if you saw there's this great um this would be right up your alley i'm sure you've seen it the the little animated video that that um alexandria ocasio cortez did yeah it's it's beautiful right and she actually has she has a th- that the the star of that little video as you may recall has like an americorps position as a wetlands restorationist in louisiana i think um, so that was like, so, so AOC is actually, you know, she, she has, she shares that vision. Um, she probably had it first, but, um, you know, but, but, but it's, but it's kind of a, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of an, it's a, it's an old idea, right? That we need to, you know, that we need to make new again. So I was just really pleased to see, 
you know, wet, wetlands restoration, uh, as, you know, as one of the planks in her, in her, in her imaginative vision for the future. That was really cool. So my, so my last question is builds on that imaginative, uh, vision of the future. So I wonder, you know, if we were to see over the next 30 years, say, um, a, uh, a widespread reintroduction of beavers and a, uh, a concerted effort at rewilding what would it what might it be like in, in in 30 years time what would it feel like to live in a world where that rewilding was was 25 30 years in was very visible was uh was very much sort of talked about and uh uh highly regarded aspect of what was going on in the world i wonder you know if if you could take us inside in your mind when you see this stuff uh, uh, rolled out at scale, what does it feel like to be in the time when that when that was going on? Yeah, that's a that's a, a that's a, a great a great question. Um, you know, I think I mean I think that that that. You know, I th- I, yeah, I think I think that our it would you know it, it would feel a lot like um, being in you know being at the at the, the the Devon Beaver Trial you know or at some of these you know, some of these sites in Voyagers you know just, I just think that you know I mean I mean certainly our our aquatic ecosystems would look and feel much much different than they do today right I mean again all, you know we we've we've kind of normalized I think the idea of a, of a healthy stream as a straight single thread one that winds through, uh, you know, this kind of pastoral, um, you know, sheep and cattle fields. Um, and, you know, and certainly, uh, you know, our, our landscapes would, would, would feel much different. Um, and look much different in that, you know, we'd be, we'd be reintroducing, um, you know, these multi-threaded channels and, and, you know, com- kind of complex pond and wetland habitats and dead wood all over the landscape. Um, so from a simple sort of like physical, um, you know, geomorphological, hydrological standpoint, it, you know, it would look and, be, and look and feel much different from a, you know, kind of a, from, I guess more, more deeply, um, you know, I think, I think that the thing that would, I think that the thing that would feel different is just our our relationship with nature and with ecological restoration, right? And this is something that I really try to get at in the book is you know the notion that most of the work that we've done, you know, like, I mean historically, you know, we we've we have attempted to subjugate and dominate nature, right? We've you know we've we've you know cut down the cut down the forests and caught the fish and plowed the fields and you know and and raised the mountains for for you know for mining um and and even and although you know we're we're we become more conscious in some ways i think about you know about that that extractive relationship you know even our sort of our attempts at restoring the damage we've done or correcting the damage we've done still adhere to that same kind of paradigm of domination right like the way that we the way that we do stream restoration uh in most of the world is basically by taking you know some some giant heavy machinery uh and you know using bulldozers and backhoes and front loaders to basically gouge out these new channels um you know to say that hey you know yes we screwed this landscape up but now we know how to fix it 
and we're going to make it right. You know, and, and, I, th- and I think that that restoring beavers both requires and reinforces um, this this more collaborative mindset where we say, you know what, actually, it's not, you know, we are we are, you know, we are not as gods. Um, in fact, these animals, you know, know what this landscape should look like, and and they'll they'll fix it for us if we just get out of the way and you know and let the let the rodent do the work essentially, right? Enter this relationship with this animal where we're you know we're sort of equal partners in some ways, and our job is is not to dominate them but to facilitate them. Um, so I think that you know so I think that that's the I think that's the kind of the challenging imaginative terrain. Uh, in some ways is, is getting to this point where, right, you know, we, we view beavers as our, our partners rather than our, our, our subjects or adversaries. You know, and I mean, and that's what Isabella is talking about in her book as well, right? Is, you know, is, is, you know, viewing, viewing animals, wild animals as, as partners in ecological restoration. Um, so I think that's, yeah, that's the that's the you know when I think about what what the the beaver filled world looks like thirty years from now, you know yes it looks physically different but it also looks psychologically different in some ways and that and that we've figured out how to how to work with these animals rather than rather than at cross purposes. 